Hey, what's going on, guys? In today's podcast, we sit down with Janine McIver. Janine is a world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitor, IBJJF and JJJIF world champion, twice Nogi Pan Am champion. She's a certified personal trainer. She's a nutrition wizard. She's even competed at a national level when it comes to figure and physique competition. Uh, for more information, you can check out our website at mokyberfitness.com. Uh, Janine and I met through introduction of uh, Nick Castiglia. She is the one that transformed that man into the monster or the physical monster that he is today. It is quite impressive what she did. Uh, as always, guys, make sure to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We can be found at Podcast RJL. And all of our episodes are available at rjlp.net. Peace! And we're on. We're sitting in the Toronto Top Team Gym in Scarborough. I am here with Janine. What's going on, Janine? Hey, how's it going? I'm always good. Life is a good fucking thing, if you ask me. Uh, before we, just so you guys know, before I talk to guests, some of them I have no idea. I don't know them. First time we meet, Janine and I, but we've been talking for like half an hour. And before we forget, talk about your father, because that I want to hear. Well, my dad is a legend, so if you guys don't follow him on Instagram, his Instagram is the Muttonator. Just like the Terminator, he's the Muttonator. Legend. So uh, he started off as this, like, I think I learned a lot from him. He started off as this, like, little humble beginnings guy who would go to high school in the day and he'd work midnight to the gas station at night. Uh, he started working at the beer store, uh, when I was first born, eventually he told my mom's, uh, dad, so my grandfather, he was going to be uh, a regional counselor. And then one day he said, I'm going to run for mayor. So he became the mayor of Clarington for six years in when there were three year terms. Um, and after that, he branched out into the private sector. Um, he has competed in bodybuilding. He started taking up jujitsu after he watched me compete uh at my first worlds and so he's a really interesting guy and he just started working uh with some medicinal medicinal marijuana uh companies and stuff like that to like bridge the gap between like that policy and like political ties that maybe the guys who are like in the greenhouse don't understand how to speak uh and he's bridging his gap between the medicinal marijuana area now into uh i think it's called native spirit that he's working with uh, and he's working on the medicinal use of mushrooms now. So he's a kind of interesting dude. So he's working on the benefits of psilocybin, basically. Um, I, if that's what you call it, that's what he's doing. <laughs> and he's selling it to these politicians. Uh, so they they see it for what it is or to the to the I, I would say the pharma industry yeah. who who can see it as, I guess, a more of a monetary benefit to them because at the end of the day, that's what they care about. Mm -hmm. Profit. Profit. So if he can take a good thing and, I guess, spin it to them, it changes everything. So nobody's taking Celexa and, and Benzos until they're zombies anymore, you know? Well, um, that's not something I've approached on this podcast before, but I'm so fucking happy that it actually gets bring up because I'm, as we were saying before the podcast, I am a big, big fan of psychedelics. They're not meant to be used as a party drug. That is a mistake. That is not what they're meant for. They're meant for a spiritual tool. They're there to help you understand your inner self, what you're made of, what's in your head. And, having a politician like a mayor talking to politicians about psilocybin while representing companies that want to produce it that's a beautiful thing i never thought i would fucking hear that in canada i love it that makes me very fucking happy to hear because the difference and when you look at it um the the medicine that big pharma sells us is like we were talking earlier they're like a band-aid they're not there to prevent they're there to kind of keep it under control psilocybin like 
Dr. Rick Strassman. I'll get you the book. You have to read that. If you read, you have to read that. Yeah, I'm down to read it. He he does explain that those things, that that, that what's messed up about psilocybin is one trip, two trip, you're done. You don't need to do it anymore. It's like a one-time or two-time thing, and you're changed. You have to hook me up with your father. I want to talk to a man like that. I got you. He's a great talker. That's awesome. why he's a great politician. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. I want to talk to the man. I really, really. So we're still here for a few days. If you can make that happen, I definitely owe you one. That would be fucking awesome. <laughs> so just to put a bit of perspective, we met because Nick Castiglia is now a six foot one, 240 pound of muscle monster. And he credits you for this. Well, he now he's the Italian stallion. Oh no, fuck that! He's, like, <laughs> he's not the Italian stallion. He ate the Italian stallion. <laughs> he is a monster. <sighs> Having that dude, how long has he been a black belt? Like five, ten years. He's been a black belt forever. Yeah, I think he's on. Almost on his second degree. He's got to be coming up soon, probably. Can you imagine having that guy on top of you? He goes for an arm. He go That dude in a Kimura is going to rip your shoulder off. The, the size of his legs. I, I don't, don't want to experience the Kimura myself. <laughs> you better tap. If he, gets, if he gets it and it starts yanking, he's going to rip your shoulder off. Yeah, he's man, it's, it's been really cool to see his transition. Um, I mean, I would say... On his initial start, he was probably approaching things like really like bro-like, you know, like, oh, yeah, oh, let's go lift all the weights. (laughs) And I had to really instill these like tempo controls and things like that into his training. And I think I think it takes a lot of self-restraint to be able to follow a program properly as it is programmed. And I say that because I can give you a program that says do four sets of 10. And I would say that the beta males or like the beta people of the world are, are, sorry, but they're going to do four sets of 10, two sets with body weight, and then two sets with the weight. But the people who really want to achieve something bigger, they're the ones that are going to go into the program and recognize Mm -hmm. I need to do my best four sets of 10. So they'll do what they have to do to warm up to the next set. And then their first set, you know. Boom, I've got it done. And they follow the tempo, they do the reps, then their next set, they have the same intention. And that's what I try to teach people uh, is intention. And that's why, uh, I guess, when I'm using this beta analogy, I have a I have a 12-week program that I run uh, every three months called the Alpha Challenge. Okay. Oh, trying to take beta males into the alpha category? Pretty much. And most of my, <laughs> most of my clients are males, which is pretty funny, right? I would say, like, I've got, like, probably, like, four girls in my challenge. And, and they're cool. They're really cool. I would say they're more masculine girls in this in their approach uh, to life. But the guys are definitely people who really want a long term fulfillment and long term yeah. change. Yeah, it's. I think what you're saying applies to pretty much everything. You, you you'll see that the better males and the reason I said oh oh is not because <laughs> it's a bad thing, because unfortunately it is an epidemic. They're the the men that we see nowadays are not men anymore. Like the vast majority are not men. Man, I've seen this meme and I think it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and I'll tell you what it is, right? Is like there's this guy uh, who looks like I would say like he looks like a World War II vet, right? So and a fucking badass. So he looks like an old badass with maybe some tattoos who's got shitty posture. And he's a fucking legend. He's a warrior. And then yeah. you see these guys now who have these like big, huge plaid jackets, this big, long beard, yeah. and they don't even know how to change a tire. Oh, yeah. That, that's funny because they have the lumberjack look, yes. like the hipster look, but yes. they don't even know what, a ha- what an axe is. Exactly. It's uh, funny enough. Uh, we live in, uh, I have a house outside the city, middle of nowhere. It's in the woods. And I spent two weeks this summer cutting trees. Because there's no gyms. We're in the middle of COVID. I'm like, I don't have access to a gym. What the fuck am I going to do? I could have bought a $300 chainsaw, do it in two, two days. No, I took an axe. I actually spent two weeks, two hours a morning in a slope, just cutting trees. Just that's cutting sick. trees. But that's a great workout, though. For sure. I have that's a friend a great, actually great, in great Texas. Workout. She competes in, uh, I would say, like, she used to compete actually professionally in, like, uh, what are they called? Like, 
not the Warrior Dash. That one's easy. Like the Spartan race. Yeah, uh, yeah She yeah. did the death races. So okay, okay, okay. Uh, her name's Ella Kasiba, and she's now like a really well-known tattoo artist. But she's known for being like very true to her like native roots. Yeah. Where all of her, her and she has I think two brothers in the Marines. So they're pretty badass. They're pretty badass. She, <laughs> so she actually was born without her spine fused uh, together. Like she was missing some part of her bone. So she had muscle attaching it. She fell off her horse and then realized that she couldn't walk. She was told she'd never walk again. Yeah. And then they put a metal rod in. And yeah. then this girl was winning these Spartan races. Yeah. She was killing it. She was winning the death races. And like it's something that like was supposed to go against uh, the doctor's orders. But like nature is the way it is you know like a natural selection right she wasn't a she wasn't a softy she wasn't a better do you what do you believe made her recover just straight up will like the will to not fail like that and i mean i know she went through enough battles but yeah man like now she does she does rucks in uh her little village in her creeks she cuts wood for her workout like how many guys do you see come in here into the gym for their new like conditioning workouts where they're doing like tire smashes or they're doing like sledgehammer smashes on a tire man yep. fucking cutting wood is exactly that it only it's real life and there's more core you're not getting the same consistent cut there's a know? coordination aspect too because if you miss that log that could be in your shin bone oh fuck you gotta yeah. be very very <laughs> careful and not only that but if your your axe is not 100 percent sharp you will be cutting a big piece. You'll chop it right down the middle. Then you have to take the axe out. So it's a fucking workout. And that's why I did it. It's 100% why I did it because I knew. But the advantage as a Muay Thai guy is I know how to put my hips into everything that I do because I'm so used to kicking. So I'm not just swinging with my arms. No, 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 no. I'm pivoting like I'm throwing a left hook. So I'm really engaging my whole body and my whole hips into it. But those, uh, those uh, how do you call it... Uh, those fit 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 oh jesus i can't remember what they're called they're the the type of people you're talking about because you see that in mma guys too yeah they'll use that for conditioning but those guys are beasts so it's okay but um some of the people are just finding the easy way out absolutely it comes down to what you were saying about your friend it's a mindset thing the reason it's she shouldn't have been able to uh, get over it but she did yeah the only reason that she did is that she knew she could I mean, and, and who's like, it, imagine, you know, you're like, nah, fuck this shit. I'm going to walk again. And I think I seen it a lot when I was riding BMX too. So a lot of guys take big falls, get, end up in comas. Uh, there was one guy and he was like amazing. He couldn't talk. He had to learn how to talk again. And then he taught himself how to ride his bike again. And after he taught himself how to ride his bike again, he was doing backflips and flares and man, the guy's sick, sick, sick. He was killing it. I think his name is Mike Aiken. Uh, I believe that's who had the accident. Another guy named Harry Maine, same thing. He's from England. Like all these guys had these like really horrific falls. Yeah. They had to start from literally zero, but they were like, fuck this. And it's funny. Like imagine you become basically a vegetable mm -hmm. and you don't know that you have to learn how to talk again, but you figure out that I better do this. Maybe you have so much brain damage. You don't remember your accident, but you're like, well, fuck it. I better figure this out. What other choice do you have? Right. You're stuck there no matter what. Yeah. You're either going to stay there or you're going to improve. What are your choices? The it, it remind, What you're saying there reminds me of guys that breaks their shin bones in fights. Like they kick, the other guy checks, snaps the shin bone. Like Anderson Silva, it happened. It happened to uh, Tyron Spong. Same thing. The, can you imagine the mental aspect of it afterwards you step into the after because it takes six months to a year to be able to actually throw that kick again for sure how much <laughs> how much is it in your head you're just about to throw it for the first time in sparring session yeah man it's just it is gotta be will and the will to to win and the the want to beat that person You know, like if yeah. you're fighting that, if you're in that match, like sometimes it's not about being more technical, but it's just like that, that mental edge that like you want it more than they do. And you can see it. You can see people break, you know, it's, it's wild. It's such a cool, it, I would say in jujitsu, you can feel someone's body give up. Yeah. The wheels being sucked out of them. Yeah. You don't, you don't hear them in their head. You know, you don't, 
Um, there's nothing they say. You just you literally feel the body make a change. They mentally tap, and that's it. It's um, uh, Jonathan Goulet. We were talking about it earlier. He was explaining that when he he started doing jujitsu again after like five years of stopping. He's a brown. He's a brown belt. It should be a black belt, but he stopped for so long that his training's on on pause. Right. But that's what he was saying. Uh, one of his first competition, he came back and he got against uh, a guy from uh, a Brazilian top team. Same thing. It's uh, one of he he lost that match before he even stepped onto the mat with the guy, just because of what the guy looked like. It's like the I like to call it the Mike Tyson effect. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're you're battling a beast, but then within the fight, he realized that he was able to pick him up, so he was stronger than the other guy. He still lost, but. It shows how much of an aspect your mental has on everything. On everything. And you know, it's funny. Like, I was talking with my friend. Uh, his name is Breno. He's here from Brazil. And he's my husband's best friend. He uh, he came to the gym. We did an in-house. There was just, like, I think nine guys. And he he goes, and he's about to wrestle against some of these two twins that come here. Uh, they're very, very good. And I remember, like, the guy's wrestling was sick, like, so sick. So, and he's always been like that, very aggressive. Um, he's the, one of the guys that, like, if if you listen to him talk, he'll be calling out, like, beta males. He's very controversial. but uh, like he's I like a, people like that. He's a fucking tough guy, man. His name's Steve Sims. And I remember, like, I remember Breno was going to fight him. And, like, but they both have the same goal. We're both trying to, you know, be the best in the world. We're all trying to be the best in the world, so we want everybody to get there. So the in-house tournament comes. And I remember Breno saying, like, man, all I did all morning was I pictured myself in all of the worst positions possible. Yep. And I pictured myself leaving them. And he goes and he comes in and I think he I think he ended up taking a lot of people down. I think he might have ended up in side control or almost side control. And then like because of that that time he spent, I, I would even say meditating. It's called visualization. Yeah. Boom. He's out. There's, um, I've referenced this on this podcast before, but there's a study that was, that was released. I should, I keep on talking about it. I should actually be respectful and learn the name of the study, but they did it with basketball players. So over a summer break, if I remember correctly, it was over summer break. They broke, they broke out a team into three different teams. So basically you had one team that continued training. There's, is their off season? So continue training. You have a group that didn't do shit, that didn't touch a ball, they didn't do anything else. And then you have a third group that did visualization only, never touched a ball. They reassessed when the season started again. Turns out that obviously the second group didn't learn shit, they didn't get better, and I'm pretty sure they got worse. But turns out that the visualization group got better at the same rate as the people that continued training. So I imagine that you do both. For sure. And I think the times that I lose are the times where I've visualized things wrong or I haven't given myself enough time or I haven't got myself into that mindset. I don't know if you've read the book Relentless. Um, I, I don't think so. But Relentless like differentiates between like cleaners and closers. And they say closers are the people <laughs> who are like... Sales. We're talking about sales. Sales? Yeah, sales. That sounds like closer saying you're closing a deal. <laughs> well, but the funny thing is, is the cleaners, I believe, are the ones that are like the LeBron James. Okay, and, okay. and the closers are the ones that are like a, like a little step beneath, you know? Oh, so we're not talking about the same principles here. Okay. So it's a little different. And it's funny because like um, they, they talk about like the dark zone. They talk about Tiger Woods having a sex addiction, mm -hmm. but still needing to have that family to ground him and yeah. then being like such a high performer. And it's funny because you see people, uh, I remember Ty Domi, like you'd go out and you'd see him in person or you'd see him before a game and everybody would say he's a fucking asshole. Yeah. Uh, anybody who like met him in person, they didn't like him. They had a lot of bad things to say. But then if you caught him on another day, you know, where he was like out of like the hockey atmosphere, super you would nice. see him like super nice and he was a really good hockey player like a very solid hockey player and it all came down to i believe after reading this book especially yeah like he gets into this i would say dark zone mm -hmm. and it, it's really interesting and another thing about visualization um john danaher he made gordon ryan When he was injured before John ADCC. Denneher, that's the guy that finally shaved his head. Like, that's the jiu-jitsu jiu god. 
that for the longest time was <laughs> holding on to scrapes of hair? I don't know. I think he just is a cre creepy looking guy that wears a rash guard everywhere. He was George St. Pierre's coach. But, okay, so we're exactly, yeah, we're talking okay, about exactly. But for the longest time, he had the mad scientist haircut. <laughs> and then one day he shaved it. I'm like, fucking fine. I'm bald. I knew from a long time ago, my hair won't grow anymore. So if, fucking cut it off. If they ever made like a jujitsu G.I. Joe or jujitsu Barbie, it they would make him. it look like John Danaher with like a painted on rash guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he made Gordon Ryan sit beside the mat. He couldn't train because his knee was fucked from Kazai. He and, still won. And Gordon Ryan, we're talking about, he's probably, is he still considered number one? Uh, I know everybody's going to say in Nogi. But I, I was really I was think, thinking Nogi too, yeah. But I really think that like the best can always adapt to be the best. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Like, It's a mindset. Yeah. Uh, winners fucking win, right? That's it. Winners fucking win. And he sat beside the mat with Danaher, and Danaher made him look at the roles and anticipate the mm -hmm. next thing that would happen. And he won 80 cc with less than four weeks in training. That's crazy. And like he's fighting these the best guys in the world. Yeah. And like for example. He's fighting these guys who have amazing, amazing wrestling. And he does, he looks like kind of like a nerdy, like he's he tall, he's big, yeah. but he still looks kind of nerdy. Like maybe he shouldn't be like as tough <laughs> as he is on his feet. But man, and he just knows like he's been in every situation. He's watched every situation. And the two of them combined makes him able to react like effortlessly mm -hmm. it's like it really is muscle memory right it's when you learn how to walk you know if you're gonna step into a puddle you walk around the puddle for example yeah you know um if you're walking like uneven you're not gonna walk uneven because it feels awkward you're gonna go to like an even ground mm -hmm. and so on but that's how simple a lot of technique is for gordon ryan i feel like it's the same as walking It's it's crazy, but I think a lot of it has to do with visualization and understanding all those areas. It's for sure, a hundred percent sure that it is the reason why. I have absolutely no doubt. It's a mindset, and when you're visualizing, you're actually working on that mindset. So not only are you working on your mindset, but he's rolling on top of that. He's still practicing. That guy probably watches jujitsu match when he's eating breakfast in the morning. For yeah, sure, I think it has a lot to. Of us do. <laughs> <laughs> but it has to become an obsession. It has to. How do you become the best when there's when there's you someone can't. else working harder than you? You can't. Uh, how many times have I had that conversation? But there's always a guy that's better than you. He's fitter than you. He's younger than you. He has more resources. He has more time. And he wants what you have. If that's not motivation, I don't know what the fuck is, right? Well, I think one of the coolest things to see, too, is you see these guys who come up under their professors or who leave their professor's gym to compete under a different academy. Yep. And you see these guys, and now they're competing against their professors, and they're beating them. And you see, like, or even these guys who have looked up to somebody for so long, and they've studied their game so much that they've yep. learned that game better than that person. Yep. It's, um, Crew Jeff Harrison was saying that the YouTube opened up the techniques to everyone. There's no such thing, very rarely now, no matter the style, no matter if you're a ground fighter, if you're a striker, if you're an MMA guy, you're a wrestler, whatever you are, all the techniques are pretty much online. If you look hard enough, you will find whatever technique you want. But the difference between two people applying it is the mindset, the visualization, the professor, the coach, the mentor, however you want to call it, the person sitting behind that fighter telling them that they need to sacrifice in order to get you want to be the best in the world okay what are you ready to give up yeah it's there's a mindset that's attached to it and it's so obvious to fighters because you don't have a choice you don't have a choice if you do a mistake in jiu-jitsu you might have your arm broken i snapped my arm about a year ago not even just doing dumb rolling or just I, i'm about to teach a class i'm about to teach muay thai one of the young guys that's still fighting amateur young fucker he's we're just fucking around he takes me down we're just we were just playing around he takes me down and i pivot i literally go from guard i try to pass his knee and i literally just pivot on my arm i felt it i just crack i, I snapped my elbow before so i know <laughs> but it's one of those things i finished around like nothing happened and then i get up i'm like yeah i'm gonna have to go to the hospital i think i broke my arm yeah this is gonna be bad tomorrow well but again that's uh, th that's one of the the story that came out of it and the reason i'm bringing it up is 
there was um, there was somebody at work that broke her arm as well. She took time off. I was I was at still at the gym training. I was still teaching, and I was hitting the bag. It's not because my right arm is broken that I can't work on my job. I can't work on my kicks. It's I think there's a mindset that needs to be attached to whatever you do in life. It doesn't matter if it's fighting. It's just in fighters you see it because I don't know that they all understand it, but you have to have it if you want to compete in the world. For example, like that's one thing uh, I'd like for you to talk about. I think it's a good segue to do it is the way Nick Castiglia talk about you. You're a fucking god amongst women when it comes to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So tell me, um, how was it to fight at the Worlds? How, how how cool is that to be considered one of the best in the world? Well, you know, it's interesting. Like, so I'll, I'll say this: like my very first time competing at Worlds. Oh, so, okay, because uh, you, did, you did it many a times, couple of times. <laughs> but there's two. But there's two federations because I've been. I, actually, there's three. So um, when I first started jujitsu, I heard about this thing like Worlds uh, that everybody went to. And oh, this before I started at Gringos, I was like, oh yeah, the guys at Gringos didn't do too well at Worlds. And what's Worlds? So I look it up, right? Yeah. And I'm like, yo, this looks sick. In 11 months, I'm gonna win this shit. And uh, people will say, oh, you were a white belt when you when you went. And, like it doesn't count as novice, whatever. Well, fuck it, man. I set a goal and I fucking did it. And 11 months Hater, later, haters gonna hate. That's it. But it's okay. So 11 <laughs> months later, I won. Good for you. After that, I was like, man. My goal is not just this one. My goal is to be like, and, and my coach helped me like form this. He goes, like, you can win the white belt worlds, but your goal should be to be a black belt world champion, not a white belt world champion. Because now you're the best. You are the fucking best. Yeah. At that point. And it's funny because like, you'll, you'll see like people who can set these goals like this. You see them being like consistently successful. Like for me, I, I make a joke saying I'm the most inconsistently Sorry, I'm the most consistently inconsistent competitor. And I say that because sometimes I fuck up with my mental state. I was going to say that's because you're physical. I'm, and I, I mean this with the utmost respect, but you look like you're fucking strong. <laughs> like you, you have forms. Like I can tell the forms. That monkey grip when you grab a wrist of someone and you grab yourself afterwards, that cannot feel good. The guys make jokes with me and they say like, yo, guys, you got to be careful when you roll with the girls. And then uh, my friend in the back is like, yo, well, who's stronger than Janine here? <laughs> Because <laughs> you, you, you honestly look strong as fuck. <laughs> um, I would. Well, anyways, I still feel normal, <laughs> but I've heard that it's. It, I've heard that it's really hard to accept that I'm a girl sometimes to the guys. Oh, uh, uh, it's an ego trip, huh? There. Well, it was funny because like some days I'd be like, "Yo, do I feel weak to you?" They're like, "No, no, it's just that I have to go 100% with you." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> But um, so that was my first time at Worlds anyways. And you won, obviously. I won. Good for you. Uh, it was really cool. Um, I, I was given my blue belt that day. And then I decided like from there on, like I was going to be the best like at whatever I did. And, you know, I failed a fucking lot. Uh, I, I went to the 80, sorry, ADCC. I wish it was ADCC trials. They canceled those. Uh, I wish it, or sorry, it was the Abu Dhabi trials. And I had been, now I had been training For I want to say 14 or 15 months only. And I'm so you're going. A blue belt. I'm a blue belt. I'm still brand new to the sport. Yep. Um, less than two years. So I go to this tournament and I compete. If I win, I get to go to the World Pro in Abu Dhabi. All paid for. God damn. So, yeah. So I fought this girl from BTT, Corinne. And I didn't know who she was at the time, but she looked like she was stuff. She had like head rush and everything on her back. And I'm oh. like, oh, fuck. She's from headquarters. She trains with, she trains with all those guys from TriStar. And I'm yeah, like, interesting. Yeah. Try start from Montreal. Yeah. Okay. So uh, anyway, really nice girl. She's really cool, and like, uh, congrats to her because she's out like competing in MMA out in uh, Abu Dhabi. What's her name? Corinne Laframbois. I'm probably saying it. Oh, like Corinne Laframbois. Like like a really English chick. Yeah, yeah. She's from Montreal. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't know her, but I have her on my Facebook. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know exactly. Uh, she's cool, man. Oh, she's she a works, beast. Eh? She works hard, man. Physical, like she she's a great specimen. Like I'm sorry to say this, it sounds very objectifying what I'm doing, but no, she, she is. is a specimen. Like she she posts stories of her workouts, and she's in the backyard on her like all summer. She was on in her backyard doing doing her training she's a beast yeah man that I have woman's a lot of respect a for beast. her so you fought her i fought her twice i fought her in my division and i fought her in the absolute and i didn't know anything about her but after i won I oh went, so you beat her i beat her twice twice uh-oh 
And after I won, I went and I looked at who she was. Man, the fucking girl won everything in Abu Dhabi the year before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yo, I can't believe. Like, I had no idea. I didn't hold her on this pedestal, I think. And I think that helped me being so oblivious yep. because I went in just with, the with again, like sheer will. And and then when I looked, I'm like, wow, like, I, wow, like, she's really good. Like, I feel I feel good about myself now knowing that I put in that fight. Yeah. Um, so you won in Abu Dhabi? I didn't win in Abu Dhabi. I lost the bronze match. Uh, so, so you finished fourth? I, I think that they would categorize it there. I, I feel just like I sucked, I would say. Uh, at, like overall, at, like 10 out of 10 sucked. But uh, Why did you lose? Why did I lose? Uh, why? Yeah, why did you lose? Do you know? Uh, well, as a blue belt, I would blame Oliver Geddes because he was the ref and he always makes me lose ref's decisions. <laughs> Does he? You don't. He doesn't like you. Man, I don't know what his deal is. I should tell him like, yo, my I have like my my uh, grandfather's from England, man. You gotta like favor me. I'm not Brazilian. <laughs> like you can give me the favoritism here. I'm just kidding. But uh, I think in my first match, uh, like I had been, I, I was like seeing this guy at the time, and he started messaging me like hours before, and we were. I was also exhausted because of the time change. And he started like just like complaining about stuff, and I think he got in my head, mm. and I allowed myself to get like again like we talked about this like I'm a very emotional person like yeah. I wear my heart on my sleeve, mm-hmm. so that really messed with me, and I just I didn't even want to compete. I woke up half an hour before I had to fight, yeah, and I was like, well, hopefully I make it on time, and if I don't, well, fuck it, I don't care, I'll just go home. I don't even want to fight. You're in Abu Dhabi. Yes, I couldn't believe it because I love competing, and I couldn't believe the feeling I had in my mind like that. So I lost the ref's decision, and I went straight into the repetage, and I had to go win all these matches in order to get myself to the bronze match again. Yep. So my second match, I ended up winning. Not by a lot, but I did it. My third match, I ended up winning that one as well. And then I was finally into... I was in the last match, um, and then it came with some, like, tests, another test. And it was a test that, you know, even though I lost, I feel like... um, I don't know. I was able to put myself in a different position that I never would have put myself before. Like I was, no, I'm never going to pull guard, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, my coach goes, yo, this girl's tossing everybody on her head. So you better get to your guard really quick. And man, it was the first time I ever pulled guard. I didn't think you could. I I didn't think you could, uh, pick up people and smash them on their heads. I thought that was illegal in uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I mean, like she didn't technically smash them on their heads, but I would say like, she'd get like a nice throw. Uh-uh. And these people would just like slowly fly through uh, the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it was a good way to do it, basically. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because like I remember that so the match the match came about and I remember putting myself in these like really shitty positions at training, knowing when I go to Abu Dhabi, I'm gonna have to be prepared for everything. So I got smashed in training for a few months before I left and I was here playing lasso. Just like, and she wasn't able to secure anything, but she scored an advantage, and I wasn't able to sweep and, and score back. But, uh, anyways, she won an advantage. She won an advantage. Oh, that sucks. But that's okay. Um, I I was like, man, like it was cool because I was just like going with the flow with my guard, and that's the very first time I was able to put myself in that position and be like kind of fearless in a sense. Whereas before, I think I'd be scared to pull guard, mm. and then. Uh, after that world pro, I had like two months holdover before I went to worlds and you're still a blue belt. I'm still a blue belt. So I get to the quarterfinal. It's my third match and I'm fighting this girl named Maggie Grindaddy and she's cyborg's, uh, fiance. And like that had nothing to do with it, but that's just who she is. So she She, had a name. I don't think I've ever seen what she looks like. Um, well, because I was fighting medium heavy, she's much bigger than me. I would How say she's like weigh? five oh. inches taller than me. I'm five foot two. She might be five, six or five, seven. But what, what weight do you fight at? I, now I fight lightweight. Which is? One, uh, 62 kilos or like 140, one with my gi, 136 without. Oh, that, that's true. You guys count the gi. Yeah. Right, right, right. And okay. I was fighting in the, the 163 division. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I, I fought s- at 165, 170. That is a big girl right there yeah so uh, anyway i ended up losing a ref's decision in the quarterfinal again it was zero zero 
And I thought I did what I had to do to win, but mm. um, like being as objective as possible. But anyways, uh, I lost that match and like it hurt, like it fucking hurt. And then you know what happened was she won every Worlds at every belt every year after. And I'm like, man, what happened if I would have won that decision? That could have been me on every top of every world podium in that division yeah, yeah. if we just switched roles you know what i mean like and then i would that that kind of made me decide like like if i can change that decision if i can make sure there is no decision at the end of it and it is 100% me that's won then i can like i can show that like that should be me up there and then guess what happened the next worlds i lost the ref's decision in the quarterfinal the next Worlds, I lost the rest decision in the quarterfinal. And now I'm waiting to hopefully go to a Worlds. But I have had this ref's decision curse in every quarterfinal since I was a blue belt. So what's your plan? To fuck everybody up next time. Because <laughs> you... Obviously, that sounds to me, and I'm saying that as a third party's perspective, sounds to me like it's a mental block that you're... Because a curse doesn't doesn't exist. It doesn't you, exist. You create that curse into believing that it's true, right? And and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think sometimes for me, like again, like it's mental. But I would say like it's mental in the sense that I need to make an intelligence um, call. Like I need to do something more intelligent than the other person because it's not always a physicality that's going to win. Like yes, I want to win more than the other person. So there's will involved. There's heart involved. And you can't teach heart. No, but like you still have to be intelligent. And so I went to the JJIF worlds and that was the federation where we had like a Canadian trial for. Okay. So I went twice. The yeah. first time we, well, the first time they did a handpicked team and I wasn't handpicked. And what well, is the handpick as in, it's not the best that goes. They put a bunch of coaches together. The coaches bring whoever they want. They had one coach yeah. that was appointed. Yeah. And then I guess he and maybe someone else from the OJA picked some people to go. Okay. And I would say like they picked some good people. I would still be like, yo, what about me? But <laughs> <laughs> because the next year I won the worlds yeah. and it was really funny what happened. So, uh, in my division, we're at this team training here and like about a month before we went, maybe two months before we went and uh tony isaacs he's uh he's there like kind of he like manages a lot of stuff at the oja i would say and he goes so you janine have an ibjjf black belt world champion in your division and then the first thing gringo my coach says is yeah so what you're gonna fuck her up and and what are you then you're purple or i was a brand new purple belt at the time how, how does that make sense that you have a brown a black belt there? so they combine at the jjf worlds purple brown and black how much sense does that make well i i, I think it's cool because it gives you an opportunity to yeah. test yourself at a higher level yeah true but i think what they were trying to do is something similar to judo where they do combine the belts yeah, like yeah, that. yeah they split it in half basically yeah yeah so it was interesting, but I thought it was a really cool opportunity. I was able to start doing some of those techniques that were illegal to brown belt. And like, it really got me to dive into uh, some unknown. And it was very motivating for me. But anyways, so I know I'm going to fight this girl. And like, I didn't look her up. I didn't know what she did. Nothing. I didn't care. I was like, yeah, she's going to be in my division, whatever. So we get there. We get to Sweden and my weight's good. Actually, I had to do a bunch of drills uh, an hour before the weigh-ins um, because I needed to lose a little bit of extra weight. Okay. Uh, making 62 kilos at the time was very hard for me. Uh, I was doing like the baths. I was eating very clean, so on and so forth. So I finally um, get to weigh in because like I remember they were only letting one person in the room at a time. And the guys would be like... One person from Kazakhstan. Only one person from Kazakhstan. And then 20 people would run into the room and like bull rush them. Yeah. So anyway, so I finally get to weigh in and I'm like, fuck, finally. And it was a hard cut for me. The next day, I don't know, like I felt good. Uh, I was doing my warm up or whatever. And I just remember like before my match was like an hour before, I fell asleep on the mat. Wow. Yeah. Talk about being relaxed. Huh? Holy shit. Like 45 minute nap. I wake up. <laughs> I'm still warm, kind of sweaty. And I'm like, oh shit. Okay. So uh, I took a shot of ginseng and uh, I went to my first match. And I pulled guard. I swept, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I won my match. And then the next match, the the coach is telling me like, girl, you got such good passing. You shouldn't pull guard. But I was like, I came here with a game plan. I came here with the mentality that my guard will beat everybody. My strategy will beat everybody that I yep. fight. 
So I don't remember how my next match went, but I do know that the girl was very tough. Okay. And at one point she had me in a deep knee bar and I thought to myself, should I tap? And then I was like, what the, f- why the fuck would I even yeah, ask what that type question, question to myself? Yeah. So I got out of the knee bar and I won. Uh, and then she had me in a triangle. I was still winning by points. She had me in a triangle for over a minute. Sorry, guys, for the microphone. That's me playing around <laughs> with it. Damn those springs. So she has you in the knee bar. You get out. She has me She's now in a triangle of for a minute. So I'm standing up with this girl So you're in a definitely triangle. losing that match right now. Well, by points, I was winning. So I was just okay. like, you know what? I don't ha- as long as I do everything I need to do, I said, okay, I'm in a triangle. So what's her next attack? If she doesn't tap me in a triangle, she's going to go for my arm. So what do I have to be aware of? I have to be aware of my arm. I have to make sure I don't get swept from the triangle and so on. So I just made sure that I was aware of every bad possibility coming my way. Yeah. And as soon as she took the opportunity to go for my arm, I, I used that opportunity to pass again. Because you knew she was going there. I knew she was yeah. going to go there. And I feel like it's funny. Like, that's why they say jujitsu is like chess, right? Um, it is human chess. For sure. Human chess, indeed. The next match I had was a girl that uh, she was tough. She's from Thailand, but definitely wasn't as uh, it wasn't the same as the girl before where it really tested my, I, w- I guess I would say, will. And then in the final match, lo and behold, I'm You're fighting with the black belt, the black belt world champion. She won two. 2017 worlds and this was 2018 so it's not like it had been like 10 years since she'd won she just won the year before yeah and uh i'm like okay i go to my friend allison trombley um she's like the i want to say one of the first like black belts uh in canada that's really done done really well is that the girl you were talking about earlier saying that uh, there was another girl you knew that was like pioneering for women's jiu-jitsu, we're talking about somebody. Uh, whatever. I don't it know, but I, I would say Allison. Well, I, before I was talking about Vicky as well. Vicky's okay, okay, really okay. She's in, she's the meanest little girl in the whole world. <laughs> uh, and Allison, Allison's awesome, man. She's I think she won worlds at every belt until black, and then has made it to the black belt finals twice. So she's she's a legend. She's from BTT. Okay. Uh, her dad runs a school out in Ottawa. But I go to her. I said, "What's Allison, the name of his da- of her dad?" Uh, her her dad's name is Peter Tremblay. Okay, he's then, not French at all. Eh? Uh, I don't know. He calls me Janine. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, their whole family's black belts. It's it's her and her brother and herself, like, uh, and her dad. Like, they're all black belts. They run a school called Alpha out there, and uh, then they have like I would say their adopted child Jessica, who's like. Uh, she actually doesn't use social media. She'll probably never hear this podcast because she's dissecting rats. <laughs> you, you know, I don't. I don't post my uh, my podcast on social media. I will post links, but if you, I, I work in technology. If you understand how it works, you don't want to put your con- your content on platforms that don't belong to you. Well, I definitely think that if you did something along the lines of like put a secret code in a textbook yeah. where there's like some kind of dissection. She'd be interested. She would be like, oh, let me take a look at this link and do some research. L- let <laughs> me, so, let me so know because cool. I, f- I do rough cuts of everything and then I, re- I, I re-listen to all my podcasts a few times in a row because I'm very self, I-, I like to criticize myself and I often send it to the guest and it's password locked. So That's I need funny. to approve whatever you yeah so i send you a link you click you ask i say yes you can listen to it so if that floats her boats i I can do that she's she's cool she's uh she's like my one of my favorite nerd friends that i've made in jiu-jitsu but anyways back to back to this final match right so allison uh is there and i i would say that like i have a lot of respect for her because she's been in all these really like crazy uh positions before and again like i i'm still i would consider myself new to to the sport and i go allison what do you think i should do and she goes that guard is nothing she goes you're gonna fuck that guard up and it was so funny because like her i guess believing in me i wouldn't say i didn't believe in myself but i I wanted like a bit of affirmation like Mm -hmm. that i could do it absolutely and as soon as she said that i knew what i wanted to do and i was like okay i know that i can beat this guard i just have to out strategize her because i can't out jujitsu her because she has been Training Doing it twice s- as long oh, as you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think she was a first or second degree black belt. Oh, snap. And I'm like, this new purple belt that's yeah. only been training <laughs> for like three years. 
It took I'm, you three years to get your purple belt. Good for you. It was, man, it was very, I would say, not scary moment, but uh, I had a lot of, uh, not even doubts. I guess I would say I had a confidence issue when I got my purple belt. I was like, I think I was a good blue belt, but I don't, I don't want to be a shitty purple belt. And at this moment, I'm about to fight a black belt world champion. And I'm like, I had a confidence issue about my purple belt before. And I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, well, fuck me. Like, here we go. So I double pulled came up she swept me yeah man and you know what i knew that she was going to like think of something like i knew that she was going to try this thing and it goes back to visualization like the opportunity for this other option was there and i knew that she was going to go for it in the moment that she went for a knee bar i came up on a deep half sweep because for some reason that's my favorite guard it's a mistake i don't know why people do that they're so it's such a weird place <laughs> but uh I so you're calling back. yourself weird is what you're saying i would i wouldn't classify myself as like a normal <laughs> individual but uh i came up on the sweep i got my two back and at this point like i think they gave her an advantage for going for the knee bar even though my leg wasn't straight but that's okay so at this point it's tied up because i got the advantage at the beginning yeah and I had about a minute, a minute and a half left where I needed to score another advantage. And I knew I was in Sweden. She's Swedish. And yeah. there's no way a ref's decision was going to award me with the win. If it was tight. No, you Fuck had to make no. it. A, you had to make it obvious. You know? Yep. And I fucking blitz past her guard. I got my advantage and she was able to recover. But all I had to do was keep that advantage. And there's like. 10 20 seconds left i'm ahead and man it was no one ever remembers if you submitted the person if you won by a penalty or if you won by an advantage they just remember that you win right yeah and that's all it takes and that's what a minute like you have to believe that like you know nobody ever calls you and says hey do you want to do a seminar because i thought you fought really well they say hey do you want to do a seminar because you're a fucking world champion yes absolutely and man it was it was really cool and it's so funny to so see. you won you won obviously. i won and they drug tested me like five seconds later. They're like, there's no way. <laughs> how do you, how the fuck must, it, must that feel as a black belt to be submitted by a purple one? And no disrespect to you. I don't mean this as, as a bad thing. As you, it's like pride. You're just glowing at that point. But for somebody that should have beat you, because technically she should have. Yeah, on pa- on paper, mean, she should have beat you. I mean, it was probably a match where she thought, like, eh, no big thing. So do you see that as you being a world champion altogether? Because you beat the last champion as a black belt. So there was nothing better than her. Um, I would say, like, it can be anybody's day. Because at that day, like, if your mind is right... And you make that decision that you're going to do whatever it takes. Like, there's no one who can beat you on that day. And I think that on that day, I was exactly where I needed to be in, like, in my mind, in my body. Like, and and I don't take anything away from her because at the end of the day, like, she's, like, maybe on a different day she could have beat me. But on that day, I was just, I made up my mind that that's what I wanted and I wanted it more than her. How important do you think it is to have, because um, we were speaking about that before the podcast, but um, I, f- I forgot the name of your friend. Uh, I'm terrible with names. The the girl that was there with you that was a black belt. Trem- I know Tremblay is her last name. <laughs> I remember that. So how how important do you think it was just the little conviction that she gave you just before the match to tell you, you know what, you're going to fucking beat this girl? Well, man, I think it was really important, but I, I also think like – it takes somebody, I think having somebody like that yeah. who doesn't really question your abilities or doesn't like say, oh, I don't know, maybe you should do this instead. Yeah. She just confirms like the little detail that you need to know because you need to go in and you need to make the decisions for yourself. Yeah. I would say like, okay, again, I said I had this game plan that I wanted to go and I wanted to fuck everybody up with my guard, for example, but... I think that you need to be adaptable. And my husband talks about this a lot. Like he goes, a lot of the time I want to just go and pass everybody's guard. But sometimes if you feel in the match where you're like, man, I better, like I got to pull guard because I don't want this guy to take me down. You Maybe you pull guard and you get a sweep and then you dominate the whole match. Mm-hmm. So being adaptable even in the match is important. Um, 
So for her to just like reaffirm, like you're going to go fuck this up. And then it was up to me to just feel out what I needed to do. So basically what I'm hearing is be adaptable, go with the flow and believe in yourself. Surround yourself by great people. Yeah. I mean, like those are, that's like every, every single meme that you read on, on uh, the internet and you're like, oh, this is so, like this these motivators cheesy. are so cheesy. cheesy, but it's a thing. It's real. I think it's real. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's I hear this message. I think we're on the 13th podcast we record in like a month. And the message is always the same. I only keep that in mind that I only speak with people that I believe like they are their success. And I'm not talking necessarily monetarily. Like money doesn't have a lot of value in my life. Like you you need a certain amount of money, but after a certain amount, you don't need more. Like it's experiences that are going to make your life richer. Absolutely. I even make jokes sometimes because right now I'm working a lot just because we're kind of limited for our uh, tournaments because of COVID. Yeah. So we're just trying to uh, make the most of the situation now, make a lot of money and just for later so we can, I guess, compete more. Yeah, so you don't have to work during those times and yeah. actually concentrate on jiu-jitsu. And it's funny because like... I laugh and say, man, I was happier when I was poor because <laughs> I could train more. Yeah. There was more stuff going on. But I mean, I can't complain. I think, again, like we're, we're making the best of the situation now because at the end of the day, we're doing this. Yep. Not because we're not living. We're living in the, we're waiting for the future when we're not living in the moment. But I would say we are living in the moment to take care of ourselves. So whenever like everything says go again. Yep. Like we're ahead of the game. Well, but but you gotta be careful. There's there's a difference between being waiting and actually being bettering yourself. Because the way you were talking, you're still fucking training three hours a day. Yeah. So you you're not sitting on your ass watching Netflix and getting fat. No, that's for sure. So technically, you're using the downtime to get better. I would say I'm one of the most time efficient people in the whole fucking world. <laughs> but that's fuck that's a gift. That's a great talent to possess. It's it's very interesting and I feel like uh I I want to use another friend of mine as an example and like I, I I see a lot of qualities in people that are also successful and one I admire them and two it like affirms that what I'm doing is, you know, along the same lines. So I have a girlfriend named Brianna St. Marie and she's from Do you only hang out with French people? Uh, sorry, but <laughs> the French people are cool and they like, I'm stuck here in Toronto and they're there. And whenever I get to see them, I'm so excited. And you realize I'm very French, right? I, I can hear that you're very French. Yeah, the, the last name is Lagagnaire. Yeah, French people try. massacre my name. So yeah. That's so, so funny. So you have an, uh, a friend, Saint-Marie. Yeah. Is her last name. So her... Uh, she's from Montreal. No, sorry, yeah, she's from Montreal. Yeah. Uh, her dad's a black belt. Uh, her brother is a guy that we make jokes about that we're always going to visit if one if one of us wins the absolute because there was a one one time there's money on the line yeah. and I'm like if I win the absolute um, then I'm going to have this money. She goes if I win the absolute I'm going to go visit my brother. I said no 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 I'm going to visit your brother because I'm going to win. But anyways, um, <laughs> so. We were on Team Canada together in two different weight classes the last time we went. And she's my roommate. But uh, I remember she had this like – she had a shitty experience in Abu Dhabi when we went in uh, November 2019. And after that, it was like she figured out what she needed to do to make everything click. And she's never she hasn't lost since. It's connecting the dot. Absolutely. Got a friend that used that expression the other day. I absolutely love it. And he's a jiu-jitsu guy. I think he's a black belt now. Uh, Remy Morvan out of – he's Whitnick. Yeah, and, and he used that. It's amazing when you do, or just you realize the tiny little steps in between two actions, and you're like, "Motherfucker, this is how it works." Yeah, and and it's crazy because like her thing was she just wanted to fight happy, and that's what she says. And fight like, happy, and she listens to Disney music before she fights. Whatever floats your boat. Yeah, but I remember. So it's Nogi Worlds, and she's not sure if she's going to sign up. And she goes, "Fuck, I have an exam. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do it." Mm. Da 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 da. So she, what happens is, is that she flies out. Um, I think the day before she fought, she flew out in on standby, and she awesome. gets yeah. So she gets there and she stays in our closet. 
Seriously. She stays in our closet. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, like we could you could have had a bed. And she's like, no, no, it was okay. I was just going to stay in the closet. And so, okay, whatever. She goes, I had a great sleep actually. And again, like. Okay, like, so it's not, she was literally in your closet. It's not a joke. No, I'm not joking. She was in the closet. Nice. And, uh, and then the next morning, like it was funny because I went to go compete. And the year before I had got bronze in at nogi world so i was like this is like i can like fix my mistakes and i lost my first match and it was so funny because like she was there she's having a good time she had to fly back and write an exam the next morning so she had to literally finish her division and and think about if she had time to do the absolute and jump on a plane and man yep she won and she got home and she made it on time uh, she goes, well, I hope I look okay for standby because she's like sweaty. She couldn't have a shower. She had to get all of her. She had to look proper because standby, you can't look like a bum. And uh, she wrote her exam and I'm pretty sure she passed her exam. So does she now sleep in the closet on competition day? I can't confirm this, <laughs> uh, but she, but man, like that's just like, it's a perfect example of like having to, I would say having to adapt, having to be time efficient and being able to budget all those things. I think that you, I think more successful people are able to handle those situations. Like uh, another guy, uh, he's from Lloyd Irvin in the States. His name is uh, Jamil Hill and he won black belt featherweight worlds. Uh, as I was told, he was in full-time university. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had either a part-time or full-time job and he was only doing evening training. So probably training from like seven to nine mm-hmm. and he fucking won worlds. Like it's all about like your mindset. I think when you're in school, even you're training your mind as well. But I was going to say how many to go back to the study I was talking about earlier, how much time did he spend visualizing? Absolutely. Cause this is as good. And I'm not saying that it's true, but that's what the study said is that it is the same thing. So if you're capable, you're capable of doing the two of them, combining them because you can't train as much. It's a magic number right there. Absolutely. Where do you think that comes from? That's what I'm very curious to to hear. Where do you think that drive? Because you have to have a drive to have the type of mentality that that you keep on describing. And even I don't know if it's on purpose that you surround yourself by success too. What? Where is that something you you think you were born with? Was that instilled in you by your father, your mother, close friends, mentor? Where did that come from? Myself, man, that's a hard question. But I think like I think all of my life experiences all put together, yeah, they kind of structure the person you become. Like I, I would say, like I think I've always been analytical, mm-hmm. which I think has carried me in in a good way when it comes to sports because i've been able to see things full picture from different perspectives Mm -hmm. and being able to take my perspective and try to put two other ones on it gives another opportunity there right so i think like that's another thing about visualization right we're talking about gordon ryan seeing i have option a b c um but i feel like life experiences are a big thing uh and i think one of the biggest things that carried over into my adult life was when I played soccer. I was actually a goalie and I was playing um, in like the Premier League with Darlington and like I was super short. Like again, I'm 5'2". Yeah, because you grew so much since then. <laughs> <laughs> and I- I've been like the same size since I was 12. And I just remember Jesus having Christ. to, yeah, I remember being the goalie, like you have to see the whole field you're like they used to call me a man like they used to make fun of me because i had such a loud like masculine voice yelling at people all the time like man on man on pass to your left drop back whatever it is right and uh all these things put together i think i was able to see like situations see angles and being so short i had to put myself in a position where i had to have like an angular advantage Mm -hmm. because i wasn't going to be able to reach from here so i had to be able to close a distance and go like maybe i'm like four steps forward from a traditional goalie it wasn't it wasn't like a one size fits all type of game that i would have to play i had to make adjustments based on my size uh and i think that being able to put myself in these situations and learning these situations um i think that that helped me not only be able to adapt and like visualize things better in the future but um I think it made me a good coach. Well, 
you have to be able, if you can't explain a technique, it's because you don't understand it. So you have to have a great understanding of all the techniques that you possess in order to be able to teach them to people. What's harder than to teach someone? And for them to be successful, obviously, if you're just teaching and you're shit at it. But if your students are being successful, you're an actually good coach, it's a hard thing to do. Absolutely. It's hard to be a teacher. My, my husband job. said that it was one of the hardest things going from being just a full-time, like being a full athlete to being able to instruct. He says, because you're doing everything by f- like instinct, muscle memory, it's second mm-hmm. nature. Yep. And then they're like, well, but how do you get from here to here? And sometimes you just forget that you know this reaction. Yep. You don't think there. about it exactly. anymore. It's, it's over your head. The, it, teaching, teaching Muay Thai is what actually made me, you, you know, I've, I think I've worked my technique more since I've got since I've got a, a a crew level. I think I've trained more. I I've trained. I've visualized more. I write down so many techniques, and I break. I'm somebody that writes a lot. That takes notes about everything. The understanding that you need to possess in order to be able to teach those techniques is it needs to be on the spot. You need to understand because I don't need somebody to tell me how to throw a knee. But ask me to explain it to someone, you have to break it down. You have to break it down. And they say that when you teach, you learn it twice. I would imagine. Uh, I think it was in Brazilian, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that there was a master that would believe to go back to a white belt. After he achieved his black, he'd put a white, back, a white belt back just to say that you never stop learning. I would agree. I think right now in the IBJJF, they're implementing heel hooks and nogi. Yeah, yeah, and, I heard that. Uh, it's going to... like. As it should. It should be there. It's a technique. Use it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are afraid of it. They've always had this stigma like, oh, I think it's dangerous. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Like, okay, in the gi, maybe because there's a lot of friction. But at the end of the day, men, like, the best are going to learn how to adapt. Like, at the end of the day, everybody likes ADCCY because it's like kind. there's so many things that are allowed. It's a tougher thing. Like, there's so many other things at risk. Like, there's somebody who can have this really good uh, footlock and – or – or the heel hook, and somebody who never plays those rules doesn't know how yeah. to defend it, so on and so forth. So I think it's really interesting um, to see how people are going to have to adapt to that. But I think, man, it's a no-brainer. It should have happened. It should be happening. And the best are going to adapt. The best are still going to be on top. There's going to be some growing pains, but yeah, like it's it's going to make these black belts who are experts go back and learn something from zero again. Yeah. Can I put you on the spot? I just got a question that hit into my head and I've never asked it. I discussed it on a podcast I recorded yesterday, but between two guys, what do you think about a man and a woman competing together in the same uh, category? You have an opinion on that? Yeah, I do actually. Fuck, why am I not surprised? (laughs) So I'm going to be honest with you. I got so fucking mad that every time I wanted to sign up at a local tournament just to do an extra tournament, yeah, yeah. there was never anybody signed up. And if I signed up... Like no other women? Women, yeah. yeah, yeah. And there'd be there's some girls who would always be down to fight. And I like I commend them. Like Even if they were like, man, you always beat me up. Like They fucking put their name down all the time anyway. But once I got so mad that I was like, can you just let me fight the men's featherweight division? And they're like, oh, no one will ever allow that. And I'm like, man, honestly, if I went and I fought the men's featherweight division, even if I lost every, like my first match, whatever, I don't care. Like I want to be able to go and compete and put myself on the line and have a challenge. And in the kids' divisions, they they, they go them together. Exactly. And, uh, you know whatever i get it like there's there's still i still think that there is obviously like an advantage to being a male over a female and being well, the testosterone same weight. does does help although i wouldn't want to see you on roids no absolutely not oh, jesus so for example like that's that's a huge thing there um but i i've wanted i've wanted to put myself into that atmosphere and yeah. unfortunately like they would never let it fly but you'd like to try it. Oh, yeah. Of course. Why not? You're a beast. Why not? How many guys have you tapped here, right? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely not Igor. Definitely not Breno. <laughs> Do, uh, Those so guys hurt, man. They hurt. They're, uh, so I don't know if you can imagine, but we've been going for more than an hour. Um, 
the attention span of people seems to be around those times. So we'll have to cut it off. But I want to ask you a question before I do, before we do. I ask this now every every time. I fucking love this question. Um, knowing what you know now, if you could talk to your 14-year-old self, what would you tell her? Stay fucking weird. <laughs> That's awesome. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> Stay fucking weird. I like it. That's great. You know, it's been a pleasure. I'm extremely, extremely happy that uh, Nick proposed this. Thank you very much for accepting. Uh, now all you have to do is to introduce me to your psycho uh, to your psychologist's husband and your father, and then we'll be good. <laughs> I think I can make it happen. <laughs> But thank you very much for your time. I think we'll have to do it again. We'll have to roll at one point too. Hey, you are always welcome on these mats. Thank you very much. As long as we keep it under 10 because of the 10 rule and also we'll be socially distant. We can just we can, actually we can do VR rolling. How about that? Until COVID's over, VR rolling. So very real rolling. Sounds, <laughs> sounds, sounds perfect to me. Thank you. <laughs>